what was the price that was paid that allowed us to live the very, very comfortable and privileged lifestyle that most of us live today? What was the price that was paid? 75 years ago today, June 6, 1944, it was paid for in blood, and it sounded like this. While you're enjoying your coffee and bagel this morning in the comfort of your car or office, it's a good idea to thank God that you never had to go through that. Yes, today, June 6th, 2019, it was a long, long time ago um, that we actually defeated the tyranny of the Third Reich. And uh, D-Day was, it was actually called Operation Overlord. And D-Day means nothing except it was some kind of code word for the day, D-Day. So it, it really means nothing, but it meant everything because... We're going to get into exactly what happened on that day and how we came within a couple of whiskers of having a life that would be unimaginable because uh, we had God on our side. Um, and all of these situations that happened were, people call them coincidences. Well, they weren't. There was tremendous prayer pouring out of the United, the United States and uh, Great Britain and many places around the world uh, for our soldiers, our generals, our um, commitment to make sure that this um, atrocity uh, did not go unchecked. And I want to get into all of that and, and see if we can you know, uncover why the great men and women of those days, um, especially the ones in battle, the generals, um, Eisenhower, Churchill, all of these men were praying publicly to the Lord for help in this uh, hour of need, this dire, dark hour of need. And then uh, post-war, after the victory, um, they also thanked the Lord publicly for uh, his blessings. And there was much divine intervention about D-Day, and I want to get into the whole thing today on the Dharmic Evolution. Welcome, everybody, 
Here we go, back to D-Day. D-Day and Divine Intervention. This is an article written by Tom Robinson. Uh, it was really, really great. A lot of good information. And it's in the Beyond Today magazine um, and celebrates the 75-year anniversary. I'm so happy that Tom uh, wrote this article. And um, there's so much good information. You know, I, I think it's really, really important for us to, um, to celebrate this day uh, because... Um, we're living a free life, a free, wonderful life because of the sacrifices that so many made, so many men died um, on the beaches of Normandy and throughout the entire World War II campaign. So um, just to honor them and to look back and there's men dying every single day now um, who are just um, in their 90s, uh, who were there, who were there as 18 and 20 year olds uh, fighting on those beaches. So I think it's been reported like, you know, several hundred a day are dying because, you know, they're elderly and um, there won't be any left to, um, to talk to about that unbelievable day um, after a short time. So it's been 75 years, um, June 6, 1944, when Western Allied forces during World War II launched the largest invasion in history. Nearly 7,000 ships... And of all sorts, and more than 11,000 planes crossing the English Channel and landing more than 150,000 troops uh, on the beaches of Normandy to free France and the rest of Europe from uh, Nazi tyranny. And more and more men came after that. Gen German leader Adolf Hitler had prepared a vast defensive network of artillery, gun emplacements, mines, and other deadly obstacles stretching from the west coast of France up to Norway. This Atlantic wall had to be breached for the Allies to press forward and defeat this evil genocidal regime that with its Axis partners was intent on continuing the carnage of many millions while trying to conquer the world. Famed war correspondent Ernie Pyle, who arrived at Normandy the day after D-Day, noted that the Allies achieved victory with every advantage on the enemy's side and every disadvantage on ours. Yet, as he wrote, the total Allied casualties were remarkably low, only a fraction, in fact, of what our commanders had been prepared to accept. Pyle concluded, Now that it's all over, it seems to me a pure miracle that we ever took the beach at all. What was miraculous about D-Day and why would God have intervened? General Dwight Eisenhower, Supreme Allied Commander and later U.S. President, said later on the 1952 anniversary of the Operation Launch, This day, eight years ago, I made the most agonizing decision of my life. If there were nothing else in my life to prove the existence of an almighty and merciful God, the events of the next 24 hours did it. 
The greatest break in a terrible outlay of weather occurred the next day and allowed that great invasion to proceed, with losses far below those we had anticipated. The Allies had tried to plan for every eventuality, but they had no control over the vital weather. They hoped for good weather to make the 100-mile sea crossing to Europe, as had miraculously occurred in the mass evacuation from Europe at Dunkirk early in the war. What they didn't realize was that bad weather, the windiest in 20 years, would hand them success beyond all expectation. D-Day was originally scheduled for June 5th and could only be postponed for the short term to the 6th or 7th while the tides were still low and the moon was full for visibility along with clear weather, especially for clearing or avoiding mines in the surf. Otherwise, it would have to have been put off for a good while later. With the terrible weather that sprang up on June 5th, it looked like the operation was a no-go, but meteorologists reported a break was about to occur in the weather to allow the 17-hour crossing. Though there were as yet no signs of any calming, Eisenhower made the agonizing decision for the ships to launch on the 5th to arrive the next day in the face of severe winds. As it turned out, the weather was only marginally better on the 6th, yet enough for the invasion to succeed even with weather-related losses. So that's blessing number one, or for you people who are a little skeptical, coincidence number one. What really helped with the day was that the Germans could not believe the Allies would cross the English Channel in such awful weather, and they were caught completely unprepared. They had stood alert at low tide and full moon days in May, but they now did not see the need. Half the German division commanders and a fourth of the regiment commanders left for war game exercises in Brittany. Field Marshal Erwin Rommel, in charge of the Normandy defenses, decided to travel 500 miles to Germany to celebrate his wife's birthday. He came back at word of the invasion, but it took him all day. By then, too late. Also, Adolf Hitler and the other leaders under him were convinced by Allied ploys and their own theories that the Allied invasion was going to be further east. And when it arrived, they assumed it was a diversion, with the real landing to take place elsewhere, a belief that Hitler bizarrely clung to up to through August. Like, that's two months. He kept believing that this was a diversion. <laughs> um, that's, there it is, another blessing. Meanwhile, most of the Luftwaffe, Germans' air force, the planes based in Normandy had been relocated to Germany to defend against increasing Allied bombing. With that and the bad weather, German planes were not patrolling the English Channel. Moreover, this was the only night that the German U-boat submarines did not patrol it, so the Allies encountered hardly any enemy forces on the way. Another coincidence or another blessing? A key early step in the invasion was for paratroopers to come in gliders at 100 miles per hour with no guiding lights and to land secretly next to two critical guarded bridges and secure them to keep the Germans back and prevent the Germans from destroying them so the Allies couldn't use them. The weather helped this too, hiding the gliders in the low clouds as they flew by stopwatches until they dropped out at 200 feet when the pilots could then see. The first paratroopers to land were stunned. British platoon leader Major John Howard later stating, When we came to our senses, we realized there was no firing. There was no enemy firing. It all seemed quite unbelievable. 
the 22 paratroopers trotted over the bridge. The terrified guards dove into the bushes and the garrison was taken in 10 minutes. But two German tanks arrived with four more on the way. The paratroopers had only a single anti-tank gun and with one chance succeeded in hitting the tank right in the middle, setting off all the ammunition inside. The burning tank now blocking the German advance and enabling lost paratroopers to be reoriented. The Germans were not then able to counterattack there or across the wider area. They now had only two panzer divisions near the Normandy landings. Panzers a no-show? Early in the morning, Field Marshal Gerd van Runsted ordered these to move in, not believing such a large-scale invasion could be a deception. But he had to get approval, as these forces were under the German high command. Approval was not given, as Hitler had to give the order, and he was still sleeping, and he didn't awaken until noon. Hitler's approval did not come until 4 p.m., but by that time the weather had cleared and Allied aircraft ruled the skies over Normandy, smashing anything that moved on the ground. Much more could be said of Hitler's terrible blunders, which some speculate may have resulted from disease or drug and chemical interactions affecting his brain. Many remarkable things happened on D-Day. The landing at Utah Beach was actually in the wrong place, but this worked out in the Allies' favor as the beach was less defended there. Of course, other places saw far worse fighting. The taking of the Normandy beaches was still horrific, with thousands dead or wounded. Yet the casualty count had been expected to be many times higher, and the victory allowed the liberation of Europe to follow over the next year. The weather that seemed poised to thwart the Allied cause in reality greatly helped it, and the Nazi leadership was in many ways confounded. Eisenhower and many others saw this as clear help from Almighty God. In fact, newspapers at this time declared the events of D-Day, Dunkirk, El Alamein, the Battle of Britain, and a number of other battles to be miraculous, particularly in the wake of widespread prayer to God for deliverance. General Eisenhower told the troops embarking for Normandy, the eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. The tide has turned. The free men of the world are marching together to victory. I have full confidence in your courage, devotion to duty, and skill in battle. We will accept nothing less than full victory. Good luck, and let us all beseech the blessing of Almighty God upon this great and noble undertaking. British Field Marshal Bernard Montgomery had told the troops, Let us pray that the Lord, mighty in battle, will give us victory. As the forces approached Normandy, U.S. President Franklin Roosevelt took to the airways with this call, In this poignant hour I ask you to join with me in prayer. He publicly prayed, Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free a suffering humanity. They will need thy blessings. Their road will be long and hard. They fight not for the lust of conquest. They fight to end conquest. They fight to liberate. They yearn but for the end of battle, for their return to the haven of home. Some will never return. 
Embrace these, Father, and receive them, thy heroic servants, into thy kingdom. And for us at home, help us, Almighty God, to rededicate ourselves in renewed faith in thee in this hour of great sacrifice. Many people have urged that I call the nation into a single day of special prayer. But because the road is long and the desire is great, I ask that our people devote themselves in a continuance of prayer. As we rise to each new day, and again when each day is spent, let words of prayer be on our lips, invoking thy help to our efforts. And, O Lord, give us faith. Give us faith in thee, faith in our sons, faith in each other, faith in our united crusade. With thy blessing we shall prevail over the unholy forces of our enemy. Help us to conquer the apostles of greed and racial arrogances. Lead us to the saving of our country and with our sister nations into a world unity that will spell a sure peace, a peace invulnerable to the schemings of unworthy men, and a peace that will let all men live in freedom, reaping the just rewards of their honest toil. Thy will be done, Almighty God. Amen. As the word of the invasion spread, prayer vigils were quickly organized throughout the country. Many businesses closed for prayer. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is what Britain's King George VI said in a worldwide radio address on D-Day. Four years ago, our nation and empire stood alone against an overwhelming enemy with our backs to the wall. Tested as never before in our history, in God's providence we survived that test. Once more, a supreme test had to be faced. This time, the challenge is not to fight to survive, but to fight to win the final victory for the good cause. That we may be worthily matched with this new summons of destiny, I desire solemnly to call my people to prayer and dedication. We are not unmindful of our own shortcomings, past and present. We shall ask not that God may do our will, but that we may be enabled to do the will of God. And we dare to believe that God has used our nation as an empire and an instrument for fulfilling his high purpose. I hope that throughout the present crisis of the liberation of Europe, there may be offered up earnest, continuous, and widespread prayer. If from every place of worship, from home and factory, from men and women of all ages and many races and occupations, our intercessions rise, then please, God, both now and in the future, not remote, the predictions of an ancient psalm may be fulfilled. The Lord will give strength unto his people. The Lord will give his people the blessing of peace. Did God answer the great outpouring of prayer? Many are justifiably convinced that he did. After the Allies swept triumphantly through France in 1944, General Montgomery felt compelled to say, such an historic march of events can seldom have taken place in such a short space of time. Let us say to each other, this was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Bible reveals that God cares about what happens in the affairs of nations and intervenes in working out his overall plan. For wisdom and might are his, and he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings, and he raises up kings sometimes to punish sinful nations and rulers, and also to protect his servant people from annihilation. 
He chose the people of Israel to fulfill a very special destiny. In prophesying of the Israelites in the last days, God promised to make Joseph's descendants through his son Ephraim and Manasseh the most blessed nations in the world and strengthen them against their enemies, declaring that their descendants would push the peoples to the ends of the earth. He further said, The Israelites would be like a lion. Your hand shall be lifted against your adversaries, and all your enemies shall be cut off. Other verses show that God would also discipline the Israelites through losses to enemies. But he promised that if his people would humble themselves in prayer, he would forgive them and heal their land. All of this plays a huge part in what happened at D-Day and the various other instances of divine intervention during World War II and in other conflicts. For as incredible as it may seem, the prophecies regarding end-time Israel have been fulfilled primarily through the United States and Britain and other nations of British descent. In fact, these nations are in large part actually formed of the descendants of Joseph. Though this truth is unknown to most, many over the last few centuries have had a sense of the promises to Israel applying in some ways to these great Bible-believing nations. Observe what Winston Churchill, British Prime Minister at the time of D-Day, said in his memoirs of the First World War regarding an encounter with Scripture just after he took charge of the Royal Navy. That night, when I went to bed, I saw a large Bible lying on a table in my bedroom. I thought of the peril of Britain's peace-loving, unthinking, little prepared. I thought of mighty Germany, wave after wave of valiant manhood, of the sudden and successful wars by which her power had been set up. I opened the book at random, and in the ninth chapter of Deuteronomy, I read, Hear, O Israel, thou art too, possess nations greater and mightier than thyself, a people great and tall, of whom thou hast heard say, who can stand before the children of Anak? Understand therefore this day that the Lord thy God is he which goes over before thee as a consuming fire, not for thy righteousness or for the uprightness of thy heart, but for the wickedness of these nations. The Lord thy God does drive them out from before you, and that he may perform the word which the Lord swears unto thy fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It seemed a message full of reassurance. Indeed it was. During the Second World War, the same Churchill, now Prime Minister, gave a message in 1942 stating, I sometimes have a feeling of interference. I want to stress that. I have a feeling sometimes that some guiding hand has interfered. I have a feeling that we have a guardian because we have a great cause and we shall have that guardian so long as we serve that cause faithfully. At the victorious conclusion of the war, Churchill led the British House of Commons to give humble and reverent thanks to Almighty God for our deliverance. Harry Truman, U.S. President at the end of World War II, later remarked in 1951, I do not think that anyone can study the history of this nation without becoming convinced that divine providence has played a great part in it. I have the feeling that God has created us and brought us to our present position of power and strength for some great purpose. It is not given to us known fully what that purpose is. Will we continue to look to God? I don't know. 
While these men did not grasp the big picture of what God was working out, they and others at the time still realized who had saved them and seen them through. It's heartrending to contemplate, but it will not be long before the world is plunged into the worst time of trouble ever, far worse than World War II. America and Britain will not then succeed in beating back the enveloping tyranny, but having drifted far from God, will experience devastating defeat and destruction. Yet thankfully, a great deliverance will at last come from the same God. The Father will send Jesus Christ to return to the earth in awesome power. Descending with the hosts of heaven, Jesus will come in divine war, crushing the armies arrayed against him, overthrowing the tyranny of wicked men and of Satan behind it all. He will take over the governing of the whole world then bringing an end to war and guiding mankind into the way of peace. As we remember D-Day, let's be grateful for God's great intervention then and at other times and humbling ourselves in prayer. Continue to trust Him now and for the future deliverance He will ultimately bring. So just taking this all in and uh, realizing that we don't hear thoughts and prayer like that from leaders anymore. We just don't hear it. Um, it's just, we kind of like have kicked God out of our schools. We don't talk about him. Very few people are, um, you know, have him on the forefront of their minds. We're all so busy gathering and, you know, trying to get the next thing and more stuff. And so I think it's really prudent for us to focus on our spiritual life even more so now than ever than our physical life because I always say this is just a bus stop. We're here for a really, really short time and then it's over. So what about your future? Something to think about. I hope you guys enjoyed that special, special Thursday release celebrating 75 years since D-Day and uh, divine intervention and a special thanks once again to Tom Robinson for that uh, really awesome um, article which I referenced for this special podcast. So uh, go over to the Dharmic Evolution Facebook community page. Let us know what's going on. If you're an artist, put up your content there, your videos, your songs. If you're an author, speaker, thought leader, put your new book. Uh, if you're speaking somewhere, you can put that up there or just support another artist. So uh, thanks for being here today. And we're going to you know, go out with a little thank you to the Lord. And this is from the Mercy album. I am victorious. Stand firm with the belt of truth wrapped around your waist And the breastplate of righteousness committed to your faith Fight against the power of the evil one Unleash the word of God Until the battle's won I'm going home Back to the throne Victorious Is glorious I've many rules 
lightning striking where the darkness lies Salvation speaks to the promise of eternal life All your earthly treasure will simply turn to dust and die 